Well, go ahead and turn with me now to Daniel chapter 7. We are entering a, the second part of the book of Daniel, and it is fascinating. It is a, a section of the Bible that is called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature in times is where we're going. And we are shifting gears from where we have been the previous few months talking about biographies, and now we're talking about prophecies. Uh, So if you're just now joining with us as we're going through the book of Daniel, uh, we have gone through the first section of the book, which uh, talked about six different historical accounts, biographies, Daniel's memoirs of, 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 of people of faithfulness, of people of the Lord who were faithful to the Lord while they were living in a toxic culture in a non, non-Christian, we would call it today, environment. It was a hostile environment that they were living in, and uh, we, we learned about uh, six different historical accounts in the first part of the book, the biographies of the book of Daniel. Now we're shifting gears to the second part of the book, which is six chapters, and we're going to cover four apocalyptic visions of the end times that Daniel had. And what's interesting about these four visions is that Daniel had the vision or the dream, and he had an angel interpret it for him. Now, if you were with us the past few months, we learned in the first section of the book that kings would have dreams, and they would go to Daniel, and Daniel would interpret those dreams. But this time, it's like the tables have turned. Daniel's the one having the dream this time, and he needs an interpreter to interpret his visions and his dreams. Now, when I say apocalyptic literature, there's really two things... I want you to think about. The first thing I want you to think about is apocalyptic literature is talking about the end times in that Satan will wage, he will wage war against God's people and his church. It's like an unrelenting rebellion that Satan will have. And it continues on and on and on. It's a war that Satan and his minions, his demons will fight against Jesus, his angels, and the church And Satan will do anything and everything to try to persecute and destroy the church. So that's one category or focus of apocalyptic literature. And the second thing to keep in mind is that God wins. Is that even though we're talking about the end times and uh, there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of war and, and there's just going to be chaos, we know that God is in control, even in the midst of chaos, that he is sovereign that he is over all. And the theme of Daniel, you go back to Daniel 2, is that God raises up kings and kingdoms and he tears them down. He's the one who puts kings in position. Uh, He's the one who appoints leaders and kingdoms. He's the one that tears them down. God does what he pleases because he is in complete control. And even when the world appears that it's out of control, God is sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning, and he is in complete control. So, As we journey through the second part of Daniel, we're going to learn some interesting things, and it could cause a lot of of anxiety as we think about the end and as we think about what will happen and can happen. But in the midst of all that, I just want to remind you who's in control. And knowing God is sovereign and in control of all things, that should give you a little sense of peace and hope, even in the midst of chaos. And so again, consider those two things as we journey through the rest of Daniel. The other thing I want to make note is that I'm going to give you what I believe the scriptures say, and I'm going to, we're going to look at scripture after scripture as we look at different symbols and, 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 and different meanings and numbers. But at the end of the day, we may agree to disagree on some things. 
And, and I think that's okay. The only thing I would caution you, though, is to, is to speculate so much to where you think everything is about today and not about then or even in the future. Uh, because so many people, they get, they get caught up in the end times where they think everything is about the here and now. And some of it is relevant, but it's not all about the here and now. And, and I would caution you to be your own prophet. I would caution you to think that you have figured out uh, everything uh, because I'm here to tell you, I spent probably 25 hours this week on just this sermon, and I thought, whoa, this is a lot, <laughs> and you're going to see that as we journey through it. Um, but just know that, that there is room to agree to disagree on some of these things, but at the end of the day, we can all agree on the, the fact that God is sovereign, that war will happen, and that God wins in the end. That's where we can agree on in unity, okay? So let's go ahead. It's a lengthy chapter. So what I want you to do, because it's long, I want you to stand to get the blood flowing, and we're going to read through the entirety of Daniel 7. So stay with me because it is fascinating. And if you've never read it before, I think your mind's going to be blown. So Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up, up, came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire." As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and beheld, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. 
So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings." He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away and be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. A very lengthy text that we'll cover here, here for these few minutes that I have with you, but there's really two things I want to unpack in this very intriguing dream and vision that Daniel had. Uh, the first thing is we're going to talk about the scary nightmare and the second, we're going to talk about the glorious ending of, of it all. So first, the scary nightmare. Daniel had this vision when he was living during the time of King Belshazzar. Now, if you were with us last week and we talked about Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel was 80 years old and he was thrown into this lion's den, but he was thrown into the lion's den under the king of Persia, Cyrus, and, and Darius, the, the Mede king. This was after Babylon or Babylon was destroyed by Persia and after Belshazzar had been defeated. And so what we're doing here is Daniel is rewinding back to when he was living in the times of Babylon. He was living under Babylonian rule and under Babylonian reign, and he was living in the times of King Belshazzar. And Daniel, as he's living during this time, he has this scary nightmare uh, that frightens him. In fact, verse 15 and verse 28, it, it, he described how he had an anxious spirit. Visions alarmed him. Verse 28, he said, my thoughts greatly alarm me and my color changed. Uh, even after the angel interpreted what the dream meant, he got pale because he realized how severe things were going to get and how scary things would be. This was the nightmare of all nightmares. And as he began to describe this nightmare, the first thing he noticed was there was a great wind that came about. The four winds of heaven came about. And they came from heaven and they stirred up the sea. Now, before we get into all these scary monsters, we need to talk about the four winds and where they came from. They came from heaven. 
They came from God Almighty. What this tells me is, is that God, He created the storm. God stirred up the seas, and out came the monsters. Why do I share this at the very beginning of this sermon? It's the reminder that God is in control. And even though there are wars and rumors of war, even though there are scary monsters, who is ultimately in control? But God. He's the one who brought the wind. He's the one who stirred up the seas. God. He appoints kings and kingdoms. He's in control. So as we go through this dream, be reminded of that promise. Be reminded of that incredible truth that God is on the throne. So he stirs up the seas. And I want to remind you that in the Old Testament, the sea was symbolic of that of chaos. It was crazy. And and even the, the great sea monster, the great dinosaur of the Old Testament, the Leviathan you learned about in Psalm chapter 73 or 74, it came from the sea. The sea was a symbol of chaos and even rebellion against God. And that's where these monsters came out of, the chaos and the rebellion of the seas. When Daniel was giving or talking about this vision, he was talking to an audience who understood these animals. He also was talking about an immediate context and a future purpose. So whenever you think about prophecies, I want you to think about mountain peaks And when you're on top of a mountain, you see a peak that's close to you. Then you see another peak. Then you see another peak. That's how prophecies often work, where you see a close close mountain peak that talks about, hey, this prophecy might be fulfilled soon. And then you'll see more prophecies that will come that will be fulfilled later. When Daniel gave this prophecy and he talked about this vision, he's talking about an immediate context, and then he's talking about a future context. Purpose. I want everybody to really understand that as we journey through apocalyptic literature. But he describes these monsters from this chaotic sea. And I I just think about the days when I was a kid and I would have nightmares. We hate nightmares. All of us hate nightmares. But, But all of us as kids probably had the dream of scary monsters lying under our bed or being in our closet. And and we can't go to sleep because we're afraid of the monsters. This was Daniel. This is why he was alarmed because he just had a scary nightmare of these monsters with, that represented different animals. And he woke up probably sweating like crazy. But as we look at these monsters, I want to tell you something that I learned this week. Some of you may have known this, but Daniel chapter 2 through 7 is, is Aramaic. It was written in Aramaic, not Hebrew. Daniel's, Daniel 1, 8 through 12 was Hebrew. I bring that up because Daniel 2 starts with Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Aramaic, and it ends with Daniel's dream about these monsters in Aramaic. It's a bookend. I bring that up because as we look at Daniel 7, we have to go back to Daniel 2, and you'll see a lot of comparison between the two dreams, between Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this statue with four different metals a head of gold, silver arms and, and, and shoulders, a, a bronze thigh and chest, and then you have the, the clay of iron, uh, you have the clay of feet. I bring all this up because Nebuchadnezzar had this scary dream about this image, and these four medals of this image represented four different kingdoms. In the same way, 
as we bookend the Aramaic section of Daniel, Daniel 7, and conclude that section of Aramaic, we learn about these four monsters that represent four kingdoms. And we go back to Daniel 2 and we see the similarities. Now, before we look at these monsters, I want to remind you that, that almost every nation, almost every college or university or school has a mascot. And they're usually animals, or a nation will have an animal that's tied to it. What's our animal in the United States? It's the eagle. You know, you may not know this, but Ben Franklin, he wanted our animal to be the turkey. (laughs) I'm really glad we don't have the turkey representing our nation, right? That would be kind of silly. But we have the eagle, because the eagle is daring and bold and strong. Uh, China, their animal is that of the dragon. Russia, their animal is that of the bear. Tennessee, our animal is smoky. Oh, Alabama, the the elephant, right? Georgia, Ugga, the bulldog. The gators have Florida, right? So this is something that we're used to seeing and, and understanding. In the same way as we look at these monsters, they're attached to a kingdom and different kingdoms and successive kingdoms that build upon each other. And so the first ridiculous monster that Daniel dreamed about was a lion with eagle's wings. What in the world is that about? A lion with eagle's wings. Well, this symbolized the nation and kingdom of Babylon. And the reason I believe that's the case is when you look at verse 4, it talked about how the wings were plucked off and lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Do you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon? Remember? Yeah, Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He went beast mode. He began to think like a beast and act like a beast. And then God delivered him from that after he humbled himself. And he stood up again like a man and had a mind of a man. Well, that's verse 4. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon. In the same way of his dream, the golden head represented that of Babylon. And so this lion with eagle's wings, it represented that of Babylon. Do you know what's interesting on a side note? Iraq, their animal is a lion with eagle's wings, or both combined. Iraq is modern-day Babylon. Isn't that interesting? So again, this first monster from the sea is that of Babylon. The second was talking about a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth. That's really interesting. What in the world is that about? Well, the bear, it represents Medo-Persia. And we just learned last week about King Cyrus of Persia and Darius of the Medes and how they came in together as a combined kingdom. This represents the silver shoulders and arms of two, where you have two going at it. Now, why was the bear on one side? Well, I believe what that's symbolizing is that that's more talking about Persia because Persia was the more dominant empire than Media. But yet they were working together as we see throughout the book of Daniel as one common empire. Now it had three ribs. The bear had three ribs in its mouth. What in the world is that talking about? Well, it's talking about how Cyrus, the great emperor of Persia, and his son, Cambius or Cambyses, they conquered three kingdoms. They conquered the Lydian kingdom in 546. They conquered the Babylonian kingdom in 539. And they conquered the kingdom of Egypt in 425. So these three kingdoms were the three ribs in the bear's mouth, the mouth of Medo-Persia. The third monster, what's the third monster? Well, you have this leopard with four wings of a bird and four heads. That's just wild to think about. But what do you think about when you think about a leopard? You think about how they're fast. 
how they're agile, how they're swift, how they're quick, and they move around quickly. I think about Alexander the Great. I think about Greece. You know, at 21 years old, he becomes the emperor of Greece. By 26, he conquered everything, where even towards his death, he he cried because he said, I don't have anybody else to conquer. Rapid pace, quickly, Alexander the Great was able to conquer anybody and everybody that came in his sight. And that was the kingdom, the leopard, who was fast and quick. Now, the four wings of a bird, what is that about? Well, when Alexander the Great passed away, he had four sons that became four generals, and the kingdom split up in four. Isn't that interesting? So, again, you see all this, how it ties in. And it goes back to Daniel 2, where you have the thighs of bronze that represented that of Greece. So now we get to this fourth kingdom. And the fourth kingdom was terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, Daniel described it. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And it was different than all the other beasts in that it had ten horns on it. You know what a horn symbolizes? It symbolizes that of strength. You know one of my favorite cars right now is the Dodge Ram. I love trucks, and I like big trucks. I don't have a truck. One day I will, maybe when my, my, my last daughter gets married. But, I, got, but I, I was looking the other day, I saw this Dodge Ram. I thought, oh, I like that truck. Because the Ram, what does it do? Those horns, they symbolize strength and power and grit. Well, that's what this beast was, the, the ten horns. Now, what in the world is this? Well, I believe it's talking about Rome. This is where some of us might agree to disagree. But I believe it's talking about Rome because, again, it goes back to Daniel 2 with the feet of clay and how that was Rome. They had 10 toes just like this beast had 10 horns. And so the 10 points to 10 emperors of Rome, the 10 Caesars. Now, there were 12, mind you, but two of them reigned for a very short time. The 10 emperors of of Rome, they were the ones who, who persecuted Christians left and right, and they had incredible power over Christians. And as you study emperors like uh, Domitian and Nero and these types of emperors, you won't, want to, you won't want to talk about this stuff in front of your kids. It's unbelievable and scary what these emperors did to Christians. So I believe this beast that we don't know a whole lot about other than that it was terrifying and greater than the others and had 10 horns, I believe it symbolized that of Rome. Now, as you continue talking about this fourth beast, uh, Daniel mentioned that there was a smaller or a, another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and this horn had eyes like a man and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. Now, what is this horn? And this is where scholars debate most on what is this horn. I believe what this horn symbolizes is that it symbolizes not just the Roman Empire, but it represents the legacy empires of Rome that will revolt against the church throughout history. Again, prophecy, you have an immediate context talking about Babylon, and then you talk about Medo-Persia. That's coming up pretty short after Daniel had this vision. This will come up where other kingdoms will come. Then Rome will come, but then it continues on. The mountain peaks continue on where more kingdoms will come, and it will be the legacy of Rome in the empire of Rome. 
And so, you know, what's interesting as you look at Daniel 7, you have to go to Revelation 13 and you learn about this beast from the sea. And the beast from the sea represents political, economic, military power. Power that of kingdoms that will go directly against God and will wage war against God and his people. If you go to verse chapter 13, let me read verse 1 through 4 and see the comparison of the beast of the sea and this fourth monster with this small horn. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? You see the similarities of Revelation 13 and Daniel 7? It talks about the animals, but it's a, a, a really conglomeration of the animals. It's, it's like they mix together in Romans or in Revelation 13. And so I believe it is the spirit of the Antichrist, that horn that comes out beyond the ten. And the spirit of the Antichrist is even alive and active today. First John chapter 2 tells us there are many Antichrists. I mean, Hitler must have been an Antichrist, let's be honest. Stalin, Nero. I mean, these are Antichrist-type figures, Right? But they're empires too. When you look not just beyond the individual, you see the empire of that that just wreak havoc against Christians and against the Lord. And so that spirit of the age of the Antichrist is in, that, is in today in our history. And it's continuing on this legacy of the Roman Empire. That's what I believe that small horn is. And so no wonder, as you think about Daniel, no wonder he woke up sweating. No wonder he was pale because he knew, oh man, this is about to go down. We're about to have war after war after war and it's only going to get worse and it just looks like things are going to get out of control. It was a scary nightmare. But the vision went on, didn't it? The vision went on to describe a glorious ending. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. What's this all about? The Ancient of Days. Who is that? God the Father. And you know what I love about this picture? Is as all this war is going about and these monsters are raging in the sea and they're destroying Christians and they're trying to wreak havoc around the world, what is God the Father doing? He's sitting on the throne. He's sitting. And no, that doesn't mean he's not doing anything. But you know what kings do when they're sitting on thrones? They're ruling. They're making hard decisions. They're reigning. They're showing their power and authority. And that's the ancient of days God the Father is on the throne ruling and reigning right now. And even in your own world, if you're feeling your world is out of control and you're dealing with anxiety and struggle and hardship, please be reminded that God is on the throne. 
that he's sovereign, that he's in complete control even when your life seems out of control. And that's why I love how he's sitting on the throne. The ancient of days, he has this this wool hair-like, and it's white, and that just symbolizes that of age and wisdom. You think about the fiery, the fiery flames and the throne and its wheels were burning fire. What's that about? That's symbolizing his justice and righteousness. Think about Isaiah 6 and the vision of Isaiah that he had about God the Father. Whoa, he's blown away. But you see the fire all in it. That's who God the Father is. And it says, a thousand thousand served him, the angels, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, his saints, the people. But as you go on, you look in verse 13, and I want to read verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Son of man, who is one like the son of man? Jesus, the son. The son of man. You know, it's one thing when your parents give you your name. It's another when you give yourself the name and you identify with a name. I think about Dwayne Johnson. What does he go by? He goes by the rock. Why? Because he's 6'5 and he's just full of muscle. He's a rock. I think about Frank Sinatra, Sinatra good, good old eyes. Why did he call himself that? Well, because he had these blue eyes and he was older. I think about Muhammad Ali, the great one. I think about Michael Jackson, the king of pop. You know, they identify with these names. This is who I am. Well, guess who Jesus referred to himself most as? The son of man. 81 times in the gospels, he calls himself the son of man. Now, why did he call himself 81 times the son of man? It wasn't to prove to people his humanity, that I'm truly God, as we sang about earlier, totally God and totally man. It wasn't that. He called himself son of man because he was referring back to Daniel 7. And Daniel 7 describes the son of man as he's coming in the clouds. And who, what does the son of man do? But he's the true king who rules and reigns over everything and everyone. That's why Jesus referred to himself as the son of man is because He was going back to prophecy, and he says, I'm here. I'm the divine one, totally God and totally man, but I'm the son of man Daniel prophesied about. Mark 13, but in those days, Jesus said, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now, you know about the ascension, right? When Jesus ascended into heaven, what happened? The clouds covered over him and they couldn't see him anymore. But the angels went to the disciples as they're still looking up and they're wondering, okay, Jesus, is he really gone? And what did the angels say to the disciples? He's going to return back in the same way he left. And we know in the book of Revelation, the story's not over. Because when Jesus returns, he's not coming like he did the week of passion, which we're going to celebrate this coming week, where he brought peace. No, he's going to come bringing war. And what is the Son of Man going to do? He's going to ride in the clouds, and he's going to come from the clouds, and he is going to defeat Satan and all of our enemies. 
Jesus will reign victorious. That should give you hope. And so as I think about what I want you to take away from this crazy chapter, I mean, it is wild, isn't it? It's a nightmare. But the two things I want you to take away with is this. First, God is not surprised with the spirit of the Antichrist that is in the world. He's not. He appoints kings and kingdoms for his purposes, and nothing is outside of his control. Nothing. The second thing I want you to understand here and remember is that there will be rebellion against God and against his church. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. The world will hate you. So as we're living in these hard times in this culture that we find ourselves in that is becoming more pagan and secular by the day and drifting from God by the day, it's discouraging as Christians. But I don't want you to hide under your bed because you're afraid of the monsters. But instead, I want you to roll up your sleeves and say, I know there's monsters out there. The spirit of the Antichrist is out there and I'm going to probably experience persecution in some way, whether it's my employer, whether it's my family, whether it's my friends. Something will happen probably in my lifetime, maybe even coming up. But I'm not going to hide under my bed, scared of the monsters. But instead, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, and I'm going to be reminded of who is really in control and that the Son of Man is with me. He's with me, and he will help me no matter what I go through. And so again, please have hope that the Son of Man is the one who is in complete control. And he is the one who has all power and dominion and authority where one day he will win. And that day's coming, so hold on. Let's pray.